0: We are live. Welcome, everyone, to Connected Learning TV. This is our third webinar in our series this month, Creating Student Upstanders in Today's World. And today, we're going to be looking at how we talk about race, class, and gender in To Kill a Mockingbird, and what that can do for students to be able to build a stronger sense of their own voice and their own agency in the world today. Particularly, it helps students develop the language and skills to talk about some of the tough issues that face the world today. My name is Mary Hendra, and I'm your host for this series. I lead the work of Facing History and ourselves in Los Angeles, as well as our organizational innovation, and I'm thrilled to be moderating these webinars. Today we're going to be talking with Laura Tavares from the New England area. Sarah Alcho from the San Francisco Bay Area, Steve Becton from the Memphis area, and right here, Armin Menechian from the Los Angeles area. Before we dive in, a couple things. Um, since you're joining this chat, we know that you are going to be enjoying the, the next hour of a webinar together. We encourage you to share it with your networks. We also would welcome your comments and questions. You can do that via Twitter. We're using the hashtags ConnectedLearning and Upstander. You can also use the Q&A feature as you're watching it online through the video player. And we are also thrilled to be co-streamed by the National Writing Project on EducatorInnovator.org. Before we begin, I want to let you meet everybody. So we'll do a quick go around so they can introduce who they are.
1: Armin, would you like to start? Sure.
2: Um, My name is Armin Menechian and I am currently a program associate at Facing History. I have used Facing History in my classroom uh, when I taught abroad in Barcelona at Benjamin Franklin International School. I really enjoy being part of this conversation. I did teach To Kill a Mockingbird in the eighth grade a few years ago, so I'm really hoping to dive into that memory and bring some conversations related to that experience.
0: And Armin has been working with our teachers in Los Angeles as we roll out a new study guide for Mockingbird
3: too. Yes. Steve? Hello. I'm Steve Beckton. Just, just thrilled to be a, a part of this conversation. I work for Facing History and Ourselves in our Memphis region. I'm a social program director for Urban Education, and that work also uh, allows me to work across our regions, doing some national work as it relates to education and schooling. And, and just love to think about how uh, Tequila Mockingbird really comes into a contemporary conversation around race, class, and gender. So I'm looking forward to this. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Sarah? Hi, I'm Sarah Alchul. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here for this conversation today. I'm an, one of the newer program associates here in the San Francisco Bay Area office and have taught high school English for over a decade and worked with teachers. Um, in the ELA social studies realm using Facing History myself um, and supporting teachers with having really um, you know brave conversations in their classrooms with their students around uh, concepts such as race gender and, and equity and I I'm so excited to be a part of this conversation with, with a book that lends itself so well to those conversations so thank you for the invite great and Laura
1: Hi everybody, my name is Laura Tavares. I'm on the program staff of Facing History at our headquarters just outside Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Over the last year or so, I've had the pleasure of working with the team here at Headquarters to develop Facing History's resources um, and a wonderful publication called Teaching Mockingbird, which I hope we'll talk about a little bit today. And I've also learned so much from leading professional development about To Kill a Mockingbird um, all over the United States, so I'm really happy to be part of another national conversation and looking forward to exploring today.
0: Thank you. So let's, let's talk about Mockingbird here. It's been in the news quite a bit this summer with the release of Go at a Watchman, but it also is one of the most taught books across our nation. Um, so I would love to hear from people and maybe Armin will start with you. Why do you think that Mockingbird still holds so much resonance today? Okay.
2: Um, I really I really enjoyed um, actually teaching Mockingbird as the first novel inside the English classroom and why I decided to choose To Kill a Mockingbird was because it does really resonate with students and it does really resonate with the themes that are ongoing um, especially the ones that we're covering today, race, class, and gender. Um, My focus began with getting into the moral and ethical compass of the characters and To Kill a Mockingbird, but I soon realized that it actually shifted to talk, talking about topics of gender which mm-hmm. come up in relation to uh, Scalp as a character. So gender was a hot topic in my 8th grade class. Mm-hmm. So that, was, that really lent itself um, well. Class, I was teaching it at an international school so it really was eye-opening for my students to see the different hierarchy in society. So um, these two themes especially were very powerful for my students and I'm really hoping to hear from teachers outside who are listening to us what themes come up for them in their classrooms.
0: Laura, what about you? What do you see as why it still resonates
1: today? You know, it's so interesting that um, in a really far-flung and diverse country where where we live, Um, reading To Kill a Mockingbird seems to be a common experience uh, for so many people. Everybody who I've talked to for the most part remembers when they read it, if they grew up in the United States. Um, And it's also a book that we tend to read as adolescents at a moment when we sort of, you know, like Scout in the novel, are trying to figure out who are we, um, how do we make choices um, what does it mean to be? Um, what does it mean to be a young person? How do I live in this world? And um, so I think it's a book that really sticks with people. Also because the characters are so compelling, because it's told in you know Scout's voice, which is um, such a insightful and also humorous and really sort of lovable voice. Um, I think this is one of those stories that sort of um, imprints itself in your thinking. Um, The characters seem to take on a life even outside of the pages of the novel, and it becomes part of um, a kind of common conversation that we can have with each other.
0: Great. Steve, what about you? What do you see as the resonance, particularly perhaps in the Memphis region?
3: Yeah, it's it continues to resonate here in the, in the very universal ways uh, that uh, Laura just spoke of, but but also in some particular ways. I, I think in the South, um, you know, in the South, uh, as you all know, some of the social um, uh, mores of the book were were really. Uh, sort of painful here for people in the South, and there are people here who, who generationally have continued to struggle with the the pains of that period. But also, what I love about the novel, it speaks of, of of some of the some of the really things that people can remember from that period that were nice to remember as well. You know, just a, a day in the life of a kid in the South. And, and that's, that's a nice thought, even in the midst of a, of a segregated community, to know that kids were were having normal lives while, while the adult world was dealing with such troubling uh, pieces of society.
0: Yeah, it, and it's good to hear some of the different themes that you're bringing out already that, that kids resonate with, and to remember the, the importance of that narrator and that child perspective um, is is something that's, I think, it does give additional entry for students to be able to see, this is being written by somebody who is not yet an adult and can have a different perspective and a different way of questioning. Okay. Um, so, what are, are there some other themes that you find are really important when talking about the book? And Armin started us off with some, but um, Sarah, maybe, you know, if you, if you were to say what themes were most important when you taught the book, what? What would you say?
4: Yeah, I was going to I was going to add when I taught the book I was teaching in a um, in a well actually in Hayward where our offices um in a classroom that was predominantly uh, second language learners um, more newcomers to to California. And, um, you know, what I remember so strongly about the book was really grappling with this um, idea of justice and justice through the court system, through the legal system. And I think that um, for those students in particular, for my students, that was something that it opened up this opportunity for them to talk about their own experiences with coming to this country and what they were going through and making sense of what is morally just and unjust um, in a way that felt really authentic to them.
0: the a great reminder and probably part of why it also is very much resonating today and in, in all of the news from the past year Um, as students struggle with that. Absolutely. So let's let's probe that a little bit further and get into maybe some concrete things. How does Mockingbird, or teaching Mockingbird, help us engage, let's start with race. How does it help us engage in conversations about race with our students? What resources would we use from the book? What kind of conversations can happen when we're using that? can I start with you again, since you're right here?
2: Sure. Um, so in terms of race, as we know, um, in current news and current events, uh, students are seeing this on the news. Students are seeing the injustice that they are living in currently. And going back to uh, just a few decades ago, seeing the population in Maycomb and what they and their adults, as Stephen um, mentioned, had to deal with. So it really opens up the space for our students inside the classroom to start talking about how much has changed in the last uh, 60 years. How much really has changed? To what extent has our society developed in talking about race? I think that's a powerful um, place to to begin in in general before even diving into um, the novel itself. So um, that that that's something I feel. Um, was very powerful in my class even being international yeah. kids do want to talk about these issues and
0: yeah. and there's not always a lot of spaces for them to talk about it, right? Steve, do you have thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I think um, I think what the book allows for is for safe space uh, conversations about race uh, for adolescents as well as adults, we have to enter those conversations safely you know, safely in and safely out. And I think this book through the, the voice of a, of, a, of a child in a sense, brings even us adults into a discussion about race in a more safe way. And it also it gives us some identity distance but also some historical distance. And It's just a safe way to enter the conversation, but what I love about the book is it's, it's safe but it doesn't mean it's not courageous. Is complex and it deals with all the hard stuff about talking about race, but in a way that people can safely come to the table, and that that's a great feature. Yes, Laura, you do you want to add a
1: little? Sure. Yes, yeah, Steve, I really appreciate what you said about this idea of safety and distance. Um, one of the ways that I think. Mockingbird provides an entry point for thinking about issues of race is that one of the central tensions of the novel is um, Scout really coming to consciousness about the the injustice in her society and about the racial prejudice in her society. I'm thinking about the moment at the beginning of Chapter 9 when Atticus has agreed to defend Tom Robinson and Scout has started to hear about it on the playground. One of her classmates has called um, Atticus um, an N-lover. And she comes home asking what that means. And we see her sort of struggling in this moment. And I think as we explore that and in, in our guide, we pair it with a historical source about another young girl also confronting these dynamics of, um, of race and sort of learning the unwritten rules about race and her world. We can learn about that out there, but we're also led to ask, well, What are the unwritten rules about race in our world? Um, How did I learn um, these ideas about race and belonging? Um, How do I come to consciousness, or am I conscious, about um, injustice in my world today? So I think the novel can be an entry point for asking some really important questions um, about self and also about society.
0: It's so interesting to hear both of you talk about the the value of the young narrator in helping us have these conversations and it just reminds me of how often with young children they don't know necessarily not to ask a question that society doesn't talk about as much, they just blurt it out. And for our students with you know, students at middle school and high school level, they may be at that point where they have learned not to talk about certain things because they could be unsafe for them or they could be confusing for them and this gives them an opportunity because there's a young child asking these questions to ask them again themselves, and to really think about, so why do we have these rules, um, whether written or unwritten, or why do we have these expectations about how people interact with each other, where people sit in the school cafeteria, all of these different things can come out because of the conversations that that a child, you know,
4: asks. Right, Sarah,
0: what have what have you seen in this regard?
4: I was just going to chime in and say, as an English teacher, you know, when you're teaching a book out of the canon, and Mockingbird is one of the most commonly taught books across America, um, you know, I've often found myself at a loss for how to really bring in that historic component of a novel and you know I, I became an English teacher because I, I felt that these ca- looking, examining other people's lives and the dynamics between d- different people and the, um, the ethical dilemmas they face is a great way for young citizens to form their own identity and I think that Um, Mockingbird takes on race and in particular this resource Laura is talking about teaching Mockingbird um, provides teachers with such rich resources for how to navigate those conversations and to um, set up their students for that safe courageous engagement that Stephen was talking about Thanks
0: thank you um, I feel like a couple people have mentioned it, so now might be a good time to make sure that everybody who's watching knows about the study guide that Facing History put out. Um, it is something that everybody can download for free at facinghistory.org slash mockingbird. And... Um, some of the pieces, the nonfiction pieces that have been mentioned. Um, Virginia Durr as a young child and her engagement with issues of race or first kind of discovery of what these unwritten rules were. Some of those pieces are in the guide and I'm sure that we're going to be mentioning a few more in the next half hour or so. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to, um, to bring up um, within this is Kind of what something that Armin had touched on earlier as well. That this often resonates on a chord around gender, and so wanted to um, to go there as well. And then maybe we can dive more directly into what some of these resources are that can can lend other perspectives and why it's important to lend those when we're reading a novel. But first, gender. What? what have you found about the this book being able to introduce conversations of gender or encouraging conversations around gender or gender identity um, as you're teaching this book? And I keep turning to Armin, so I. I, <laughs> I but I think on this one, he I'm wants here. to be the first responder.
2: <laughs> I think because I'm here, and uh, well, firstly, I wish this resource was out there when I was teaching To Kill a Mockingbird, I, and that's that's an honest. That's definitely an honest. Uh, statement I'm making because I went into the classroom as a new teacher teaching English uh, literature with a history background so I actually went in from the history historical perspective which the book provides um, on race and also you know on class on uh, for example Jim Crow laws so that I had you know the power of going into the classroom however uh, gender issues I did not even think about to include in my classes. Now, going back um, as part of the Facing History team and actually teaching it as part of our seminar, as part of working with Los Angeles educators and educators around the nation, I am seeing how some of the resources, for example, Rainbow Creation, is such an outstanding resource to just begin conversation about the social construction of gender. Mm -hmm. and I'll definitely um, yield a (laughs) camera to someone else to talk more about that resource.
1: Great. Laura,
0: do you want to share? You've worked so much with the guide as well as the book. Do you want to share a little bit perhaps also about gender and Um, maybe
1: for creation? Sure. sure. You know, I think um, one of the reasons why people have so much affection for Scout as a character is because she's, um, you know, she's really bumping up against these ideas about what it means to be a girl. You know, she's a sort of, you know, the archetypal, lovable, tomboy character, and we kind of root for her in her fight with Aunt Alexandra that she should be able to wear her overalls. Um, But those moments really offer us an entry point into thinking about the rules that sort of govern expectations about what a girl is and what a boy is. Um, And so when we were creating our Teaching Mockingbird Guide, we wanted to foreground the novel with some readings that would sort of activate students' thinking about those issues. So this reading that Armin mentioned, which is called "A Rainbow Creation, is um, excerpts and essay actually written by a parent about the experience of parenting a boy who was much more drawn to girls' toys and girls' clothes and Barbies, and all of the sort of um, anxieties that were raised for that parent about their child not fitting in, how would people treat them, wanting to sort of honor who their child was, but also being anxious about what it would be like to have that identity in the world. And you know, the um, the rules that govern kids sort of fitting into gender stereotypes are something that I think we have all experienced It's really universal and it's also in the news right now. I was just reading about how Target announced that they were going to um, change their toy aisle so that they didn't separate Boy toys from from girl toys anymore. Um, I think that's a place you know where we can meet students where they are. Um, I think every eighth grader, ninth grader reading To Kill a Mockingbird in this country has had an experience like that, and they're able, I think, to connect much more deeply to what Scout is up against in the novel. To see her not just as this sort of um, you know sparky, tomboy figure, but someone who is really pushing back against these um, unwritten rules in her world, which can be very limiting. Um, Here in in um, Facing History's headquarters, as we were creating this resource, we piloted it with some high school students, and we got some really interesting feedback. So one ninth grade student who um, studied To Kill a Mockingbird using our resources and read things like A Rainbow Creation at the beginning of the unit said, "Um, some of the stories and handouts that we got in class were questioned by a few people, including me, because we weren't sure how completely different narratives would be of use to us. And, you know, you can just imagine these high school students. Why are we reading this? I thought we were reading To Kill a Mockingbird. But she goes on to say, we, started, we slowly started to realize that they were, they were useful to us because there were some issues and concepts we probably would not have understood without them. So there are readings, um, not only about class, not only about gender, but also about class and about race that foreground students' entry into To Kill a Mockingbird in a way that we hope really um, makes them much more alive to seeing how these themes play out in the novel itself. Great.
0: Thank you. Um, Sarah or Steve, would either of you like to speak um, a little bit more to, to um, gender and how that plays out in the book, in the guide, or with students as you've worked with them?
3: Well, I, I think one interesting thing is uh, the book gives a great opportunity to talk about uh, the intersectionality of race and gender. All right, so what if Scout was a little uh, a kid of color, a little African-American kid at the time, without the privilege to raise the kind of questions that she raised and and, and, and without sort of uh, even feeling safe uh, to to be a, a girl trying to define herself uh, in a world that, that seems so male-dominant. So that intersectionality between race and gender is, is pretty interesting. Uh, I had a... Uh, interesting experience around this novel that I think is worth invoking a real personal experience. First of all, when I studied the novel myself uh, in an all, all African American school in Memphis, Tennessee, I don't think my teacher ever mentioned race, which is why I appreciate the, the study guide that Facing History created. Uh, we talked about gender and we talked about uh, Scout coming to age and, and this kind of thing, but we didn't talk about race. Uh, and then I reread the book when my own daughter was in the sixth grade. And she had tremendous questions about race and, and lynching and all the kind of things that was going on in the book, but she was also grappling with it as an African-American girl. So I think the book really gives us some great opportunity to think about how race and, and gender cross each other in some interesting paths.
0: It's so interesting Steve because I was in a predominantly white community and similarly as a student my teacher did not talk about race. Um, I don't think she even really talked much about gender. I remember coming of age and the, and the one assignment I remember from you know, months of reading this book in school was that we had to draw a map. Um, and my street turned the wrong way on the map that was the only thing I got out of my my classes and and so when I was asked to teach the book as a teacher I was horrified I was like you know you can't even tell which way the street turns in this book why am I gonna teach this book and then I reread it as an adult and just found it so rich and and so many opportunities for connections that I had not realized I think because my teacher didn't have the tools, she didn't have a language, she was probably scared of having these conversations and so she didn't, she didn't take us there. Right? We kept it very safe about a, a small town and a coming-of-age story and remarkably didn't talk about justice or race or gender or anything that to me is why, what makes this such a great book. Um, Sarah, do you want to um, chime in here a little bit?
4: Yeah, I just wanted to um, you know expand on what um, Stephen was saying about the cross section between race and gender because I think um, you know um, Scout's character is so rich and is really you know through whom the eyes were really seeing Maycomb County, but um, it's also important to remember that Calpurnia um, you know has this really interesting character who. Um, There is a lot of criticism about how she and the other African-American characters in the book are um, you know, reduced to these one-dimensional, um, less full characters. But, you know, her role in terms of being a woman in this town, a black woman in this town, and her role to um, the Finch's family and, you know, her bringing Scout to her church and um, all of that is also an interesting um study in and of itself and the intersection between the different women in the town and their classes there's also a lot of rich discussion to have there in the classroom great
0: Laura I'd love to turn to you to tell us even more about this guide and the resources that are available for for teachers in it particularly in relation to bringing in additional perspectives, different voices, African-American voices um, in relation to what Sarah just said, and in some of the historical pieces that are brought in to um, to deepen this from just being a book that we're
1: talking about. Sure. Um, this is our guide. <laughs> it has a really pretty cover. Um, and you can, as Mary said, you can download the whole thing um, at facinghistory.org slash Mockingbird. Um, the guide is really designed to help students have a deep investigation of the novel, but also the world of the novel and our own world, um, and in this way to make that connection between history, literature, and ourselves, which our work really is all about. So. Um, I'll speak, I think, first to the historical piece. You know, certainly when I taught To Kill a Mockingbird um, to eighth graders several years ago, I think it was pretty standard in our school to spend maybe a day or two before you read the novel talking about the Depression. Uh, Maybe you'd talk a little bit about Jim Crow, and then you'd move into the novel, and you would just stay in it. Um, The approach that we have tried to take with our guide at Facing History recognizes that in order to really understand this novel and the issues it raises, we really need to know more about the novel's world and certainly much more than you could convey in a day or two of historical context before you read the novel. The guide is organized into several sections um, that sort of correspond with how you would move through the book from the beginning to end. And as different elements of historical context become relevant, we pull in different uh, primary sources and also special um, short videos that we at Facing History created to really illuminate the world of the novel. So in the early stages of the book, when um, the setting of the Great Depression is really relevant as we're learning about Maycomb and the Cunninghams and the Ewells, and the the poverty that really characterizes that time, we have a series of sources about the Depression and a short film about both the Depression and and Jim Crow. Um, And then as the novel unfolds and we get, for example, to Chapter 15. The scene outside the courthouse, the attempted lynching of Tom Robinson on the night before the trial. Um, There are several sources that um, that help to really put some um, some historical context around that because we do see that moment through the eyes of a very young narrator who I would argue um, doesn't really understand everything that's going on. And in order to grasp the the dramatic irony in that scene. And in order to grasp what's at stake for Atticus and Tom, we really need to understand something about lynching. So we have some sources, and in particular, a really excellent film um, with the voices of some scholars um, and also some extraordinary images um, that help students to get a little bit at um, that history. Similarly, there are sources about Scottsboro later on that help us to sort of put the trial in its own historical context. But another piece of the history that um, Sarah alluded to earlier that's also really important is to think um, about what are the voices that we don't hear in this novel. You know, we'd like to talk about Mockingbird as a novel about race, but um, can we really say that uh, if we don't actually explore a little bit dimensions of the characters um, who are not white? It's an extraordinary novel, but we don't learn a lot about um, the backstory of Calpurnia. We certainly don't learn a lot about Tom and his life. So what we've tried to do in the guide is to illuminate a little bit of these lives which um, Scout, you know, as a young white girl, is not able to show us. So there are sources about the experiences of black maids um, in the South and and what their lives were like. And there's also a really wonderful set of sources um, from the National Archives interviews with men who, like Tom Robinson, were um, African-American sharecroppers talking about their education, their experience with church, did they ever have any brushes with lynching, what were they aware of, um, a little bit more about what would someone like Tom's life have been like. And in this way, we think um, students are able to really enter much more deeply into the world of the book, but also think about um, how do these different events and histories look different depending on whose shoes you're standing in. It's it's so important. and. I think one of the
0: phrases that has come out in our, our work with this that I that I think is important is remembering that Scout is, an, is as a lovable, unreliable narrator and the importance of that and in, in really thinking about this book as well. Um, I, I want to tie back to our, our theme for this. When we talked at the beginning, I mentioned that this is it, part of this approach really helps students develop a sense of their own voice, and their own sense of agency. And I, I saw that in the seminar that we did this summer for, um, for teachers. We, we model in our seminars what teachers would do with their students. So I think it's a, a good example that when we see teachers opening up in different ways, we know that that will likely be something they can help their students do as well. And in a three-day seminar where we explored Mockingbird together using the guide and doing the approach that Laura just described of bringing in the historical as well as the novel and really examining the characters and the change, what I saw were teachers themselves developing a new sense of voice where they started bringing in their own questions about race today about gender and you know how much do they reveal about their own gender identity with their students is a very real question for them at different points or thinking about the choices that they had made when teacher shared how she first learned about the racism in her community and each time that teachers were, were doing this sharing about their experiences growing up in a white community, growing up in an African-American community, growing up in the South, growing up in California, what that looked like, they were practicing a language that we don't always practice and that's that language of compassion for each other, of listening for understanding, and of being willing to share sometimes very personal or very troubling experiences that we may still be trying to process as we think about how we can create the society we we want in this society in in American society. Um, Armin and Sarah were both there as well so I want to give both of them a chance also to share about what they were seeing with teachers.
2: Um, what What I noticed again with teachers is again this opportunity to open up open up with this resource as well in regards to their experience. But also, this guide is providing, uh, for example, the opportunity to bring this to the students. And in terms of facing history and our work with current standards in education, for example, with Common Core, I think a lot of the fiction and nonfiction work that we do offer in this guide, um, it becomes a really great venue to open up uh, this idea of how do we bring in multiple perspectives? right? How do we listen to each other actively in a safe environment and to become reflective about these these topics. Again, book meetings stay standards, but at the same time really working to get out our emotional engagement with the novel and our ethical reflection um, in terms of really tough issues so I, I do feel with my follow-up meetings with the teachers they are talking about how this experience was very powerful in helping them express their own voice with their own identity, and with an identity that sometimes, as some of our teachers mentioned, they were not comfortable sharing with their own colleagues. So it's quite powerful.
1: Sarah,
4: yeah, I was just gonna, I, I was just gonna talk a little bit more about that emotion. It was certain, it was clear through that um, three-day work seminar that um, there was a really high level of engagement. Um, investment and emotion amongst teachers and I think that it really speaks to the power of the curriculum with the Teaching Mockingbird um, resource, it speaks to the power of the book but it also speaks to the time that we're living in and I think that teachers are really thirsty not only for how to um, you know uh, find ways to create those safe spaces in their classroom, but also to engage in these conversations around race relations and identity, just with with each other in these institutions of learning. And so, I think um, the professional development that we we're offering around Mockingbird has re- been really powerful and, in some ways, relieving to teachers.
0: Thank you for that. Um, we saw an on Twitter a question around um, teaching Mockingbird in different geographical locales um, so I wanted to to highlight we we've we've all been speaking about it I think there's some common themes we're seeing and so it, it's easy to, to miss that actually all four of us are are all four of the windows you see are in different locales so we're we're um, thinking about Los Angeles and San Francisco Bay Area Armin also spoke to speaking it at, at an international or teaching it at an international school Um, and then Steve is in the Memphis area and Laura is in the New England area so so we're bringing into this conversation some of those different locales um, but can come back again to if there are other geographical differences that we're seeing Um, and one example may be that in in California the, the resonance around gender identity was very present within our seminar that was clearly something that was a a current struggle for many teachers in thinking about how do they create safe classrooms for those conversations, knowing that they're they they are very much in the air within it. Um, but I know Steve has written a number of times this year um, in particular about the the connection to current issues and how important it is to create safe environments for conversations about race. Mm -hmm. Um, And he spoke a little bit to that as well with his own daughter and Mockingbird. So, Steve, could I turn it back to you to speak a little bit more to that?
3: Yeah, I think the regional uh, differences are are interesting to think about uh, in that, again, there are just some universal uh, themes in the book that play out right here in the South the way they will in other places. But uh, some of the particulars uh, really call for a, because of what's been happening in the news around, you know, police violence and things of that nature, I think the time in reading of the book right now in our community has really, really called for us to be real uh, conscious and intentional about how we enter safe conversations about race, and connecting it to these current events. So a couple of quick things. Uh, one is that we don't want to make facile comparisons we don't want our students to say what well, this is this is just like like what is happening today is 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 a is similar to what happened then we can say but we can't say things like there are legacies of of the past that we really need to grapple with today what can understanding that, that the time period in which markenberg was written what can understanding that time period help us uh, to understand what we're grappling with today as a matter of fact uh, I would even go so far as to say, if we do not understand the context of the past, uh, we will sort of fail to understand, you know, the complexity of dealing with these issues today. So that's one thing we don't want to uh, make fast comparisons. Historical context is so very important. Uh, one thing I saw our language our teachers. Uh, feeling very strong about after coming to the Facing History training is that those who didn't have a, a great uh, sense of efficacy around teaching history, that the Facing History resource definitely helped those language arts teachers to feel a, a greater sense of uh, efficacy around that and has made the novel Easier to connect to current events. So that's a couple of things. And then the third thing I would say is that, uh, look, uh, looking at my blog talks about this. The Ferguson blog. Who are the kids in the room who are not talking uh, because they don't feel safe or they don't they don't know which camp to go to? So part of what we want to do when we are in race, both historically and contemporary, is to we want to blur the lines between the, the camps and to blur the lines between stereotypes. Uh, we want to move from the conversation of good people and bad people, right, and talk about the complexity of, of identity across uh, difference, so the kids don't feel like they have to put themselves or anyone else in a box that doesn't allow any room to nuance the conversation. Great, okay.
0: and the, the blogs that, um, that Steve just mentioned are posted on the Connected Learning TV um, site, if that's where you're viewing this. Um, And I believe we're going to tweet that out again for people so that you have that right in front of you. Um, Laura, I want to come back to you as well, and just um, that you have the the chance to, to say a few words on this topic before we move on.
1: You know, you want me to pick up on what Steve was saying about race? Um, uh, yes, and and or
0: regional differences, if you're seeing oh, okay. universal themes, if there's um, anything that you're seeing play out in perhaps a different way in New England than it might in California or in the South.
1: Well, you know, um, I've had the chance to do some Mockingbird workshops here in New England, of course. Um, I also did one in Louisville, Kentucky earlier this summer, and so it is interesting, I think, just to see um, in Kentucky the participants there were some who were from Alabama, for example. They had just a much more sort of granular sense of what that setting was. Um, a lot of them had more knowledge of Southern literature, and they talked about how Mockingbird sort of fits in with some of the sort of um, characteristics of Southern literature. You know, Boo Radley is an example of this sort of Gothic trope, for example. So that that was interesting. Um, I think sometimes the regional differences have to do with... Um, for example, the way Northerners might perceive the South can come out a little bit when we when we teach *Mockingbird* up here. There might be a little bit of the you know at facing history. We talk a lot about we and they or stereotypes, and I think sometimes stereotypes that people in one part of the country have about people in another part of the country might come through um, in the way that we talk about the novel and the characters, um, and then we have an opportunity to maybe surface that and um, and perhaps complicate people's thinking a little bit. But you know really I think in classrooms, the place and the time for today's students are so remote that um, I think it feels in many ways like another world for so many people. Um, but it also feels like it's our world because the childhood uh, the, the sort of portrayal of childhood and the voice of Scout feels so immediate. Right. So since you
0: since you brought up complicating our thinking, now it's probably a good time to to bring in this this new book that was published this summer. Um, any thoughts on Go Set a Watchman? Is that going to complicate our thinking?
1: I'm sure it will. Um, you know, but One of the things that was so interesting for me, you know, as someone who's sort of been living and breathing To Kill a Mockingbird for the last year, was not just reading Watchmen and, you know, being reunited with characters that um, so many people love and characters that I love, but to see the reaction to it. um, It's made a lot of people uncomfortable. You know, I think one reason for that discomfort has to do with the sort of uh, murky nature of how this book even came to be published, and I think... There's a lot that, you know, maybe we don't quite yet know about that. But a lot of the discomfort around Watchmen comes from the fact that, like Jean Louise in this in this novel, um, many readers feel betrayed by the way that Atticus is portrayed in this book. And I think, you know, we should be clear that from what we understand right now, Go Set a Watchman is essentially the parent of To Kill a Mockingbird or a first draft for To Kill a Mockingbird that then um, went to a publisher and was the you know, subject of a lot of, editing and sort of reemerged as the novel that that we now love so much. Um, But to see that Harper Lee first imagined Atticus as someone who was both a towering world figure for his young daughter, but also someone who was deeply flawed, who harbored a lot of um, really, you know, vile ideas about... um, about African Americans, that's painful for a lot of people, um, and it certainly provoked a lot of conversation. I think, though, it really does present an opportunity for us. Um, One of those opportunities is that the moral universe of To Kill a Mockingbird has, you know, some people say, is a little bit black and white. Atticus is totally good. Bob Ewell Totally bad, Um, and there's there's perhaps not as much great gray area in our sense of heroes and villains. But I think you know most people know that the world is not really like that. Um, In the world, most people are not wholly evil, and most people are not wholly good. And so, to think about, um, is it possible for someone to at once do something heroic like Atticus did but also harbor some of these really difficult ideas is it possible um, is it possible to be sort of both good and bad in those ways Um, is a really salutary conversation to have I also think that um, Watchmen can really help us see how complicated and difficult social change really is you know I think at the end of Mockingbird after the trial When Jem and the other kids are so upset, they have that conversation with with Miss Maddie, and Miss Maddie talks about the sort of small steps that, you know, some people were trying to help Tom. Um, Maybe people's hearts are changing a little bit. Um, By the time we get to Watchmen, I think we can kind of ask, well, is changing your heart enough? Is it necessary, but maybe is it not sufficient? I think in Washington we see what happens when laws are passed, when systems and institutions are on the point of changing, and we see that that process is really, really difficult. I think when we teach Mockingbird and Watchmen through this lens, they can be a really powerful part of students' civic education, um, in addition to their literary education. So we, over the next few weeks at Facing History, will be working on um, creating a few resources around Watchmen, um, some text pairings, and sort of little bits of um, of Go Set a Watchman that teachers who are teaching Mockingbird might want to use to provoke some conversation in their classroom. And So I hope we'll be able to share those through these networks. That's great. I'm looking forward to seeing those too. Um,
0: I want us to, before we end this webinar, to to tie back to our big question. Our big theme for the month is creating student upstanders in today's world. Um, In the previous webinars we talked about the importance of the safe and reflective classroom community. Um, Last week we looked at how looking at a case study, a historical case study, of the Holocaust can help students develop Role models, as well as um, a, a really a sense of urgency about the importance of standing up. I want to throw it to this group. How does having a conversation about Mockingbird, diving into this novel, um, even you know having some of these tough conversations around the book, how does that help students actually become upstanders in today's world?
2: Thank you, Chairman. So. First of all, children are looking for role models everywhere. Um, It begins with the family. It begins with the society around them. And then we get to school. We're hoping uh, books are being read at home. But novels and well, literature in itself is a source of looking for these role models. Now with To Kill a Mockingbird, it can be controversial because they they can say, for example, Atticus. Let's take Atticus as their example. So my role model did everything in his ethical um, you know, compass, their moral obligation, Atticus's moral obligation was this particular thing, fighting for race and injustice. Did he succeed? Unfortunately, in the novel, some can argue that he did not. But again, that can discourage students. But at the same time, they're also seeing this individual with the small steps that he's taking with the small steps that other individuals within our history have taken for us to be at this point we have we may have not gone that far some may argue but at the same time we have gone a far way from where this novel was based so novels for example would be great sources
0: Steve, do you want to respond that how does how does Studying this book helps students become upstanders.
3: Well, it's uh, first of all, I really have to, uh, Lauren. Your explanation uh, about uh, Watchmen it just spoke to me on a lot of levels. It was right on point. Uh, I appreciate, uh, in some ways, uh, uh, Watchmen coming about has has brought about a different conversation, especially when you uh, discuss it with students that. That are historically marginalized and who can who can relate to the to to, uh, to Atticus now in a different way. Uh, Attica's before to many students is sort of fantasy and, and you know and, and unbelievable, so in some ways dismissive. So even the more complex Attica's might help us to have more honest conversations about race. Uh, But to the point of upstanders, look, what I really think is not just – I want to make a distinction here. I don't think uh, reading *Mockingbird*. makes kids uh, more likely to be upstanders. I think studying Mockingbird in the way that Facing History does is more likely to have students to be upstanders. And I'm not saying that as a commercial for Facing History as much as I'm saying that is it is it's somebody that uh, I just witnessed students once they find their voice and once they find their that the that the teacher uh, values their voice and their critical thinking, and and Mockingbird gives us an opportunity to do that to help students today find their voice. Once students find their voice, and then the other piece, teaching uh, students to ground their their upstanding behavior to ground it in rigor, and in deep reflection. Not only makes them more likely to, to be upstanders, but it, it helps them to deal with the complexity of what it means to be upstanders. Because you do not always win, as Atticus did in the end. But uh, uh, being upstander is not about getting what you want in the end, it's about the process, it's about seeing yourself as a change agent. And I think that's the example from the book. Thank you for that. Sarah, you
0: can you share any thoughts?
4: Um, I, I, you know, I would just chime in and say that, um, you know, as I, I was saying earlier, that the the resources that come through the Facing History resource um, around history, and um, as everyone alluded to, that this book does such a powerful job of laying out the complexities of um, the story and the history and the sense of injustice and Um, I think that for teachers in the classroom, I mean, just like with our own scope and sequence within Facing History about, you know, how are, we're asking students, you know, as they come out of this experience to ask themselves, well, who are you going to be in society? How are you going to participate? What is your civic duty? Um, as, as, you know, a citizen and I think there is just an endless opportunity for students to explore through research, through other, you know, novels, through other historical case studies, um, how to really be that change, change agent.
0: Thank you. And Laura, I'm going to give you the final word. You've done so much work with this book and the study guide. Final thoughts for us? Sure, you know, uh,
1: I really appreciate what you said, Steve, about um, what the facing history approach adds to the study of To Kill a Mockingbird, especially as it relates to questions about students developing a sense of agency. You know, we have tried to provide a way to approach this novel that engages not only students' heads and their minds, but also their hearts. And their conscience. So there's a lot of opportunities for emotional engagement and also for ethical reflection. Um, something that Facing History's work over 40 years has shown is that when students learn in that way with mind, heart, and conscience, that's when their sense of agency is really activated. And, you know, agency, I think, begins in consciousness. It begins in a critical perspective on the world that we live in, which I think Mockingbird can certainly provide. Agency begins in a habit of um, self-reflection and in the ability to start to recognize moral choices. Um, The philosopher George Santayana said that art is an imaginative rehearsal for life. And I certainly think that by seeing you know, scouts come into consciousness and gems as well in Mockingbird, um, students can begin to have their own journey around some of those issues. And I think that we can also read Mockingbird as a social novel that really uh, helps us to see what can make a democracy strong, but also what can make a democracy weak um, and why the justice system can fail people based on who they are. So I think, you know, in the way that this novel helps us to reflect both on self and society, it has a lot of potential, potential to really cultivate students' sense of agency and citizenship. Thank you so
0: much. That's a lovely note to end on. Um, and this conversation has flown thanks to all of the participants. So I really do want to thank each of you for contributing to a really great conversation today. Uh, The full video recording of this webinar will be available on Connected Learning TV um, immediately after this and you'll also see there a number of resources including things that have been mentioned here, the videos, the blog posts, the resources, um, even opportunities for additional professional development will be up there on Connected Learning TV. Um, And we'll also post those on the Southern California blog, Learn, Teach, Share, and really hope that you will continue the conversation through Twitter, through our blogs, um, through ongoing conversations with each of us. I want to thank Connected Learning for hosting this whole month, including next week when we come back with our final webinar that is very specifically about student upstanders in today's digital and physical world. It's important to have both. Um, you can continue to be part of the conversation with hashtags on Connected Learning and Upstander. And if you found this conversation interesting, which we hope you did, we hope that you'll share it with your networks. Um, We would love to have you continue to join us for the last webinar. You can also sign up for the email newsletter for Connected Learning TV at www.connectedlearning.tv. Thanks again to everybody and looking forward to one final great conversation before this month ends.
2: Thank you.